Hi, I'm Brenda. And I'm Elaine. We're sisters. Welcome to the Body Wealth Podcast, a space for conversations about the wealth that really matters, your best health. Our brains are wonderful, complex organs that play a crucial role in just about everything we do. Being diagnosed with a brain tumor is scary. Today, Fawn Gordon shares how her experience with hearing loss led to the discovery of a brain tumor. Fortunately, we also get to hear what she's doing to continue to thrive. Fawn is a wonderful longtime friend of mine, and so I'm so excited to have her with us. Is there anything you want to share about yourself with our guests today? Well, my name is Fawn Gordon. I live in Atlanta. As Elaine already shared, we've been long-term friends. I'm just really grateful for that. So I guess the reason that I'm here today is to really talk about my medical challenges, if you want to call it that. And so I'm just glad to be here and and happy to share. Thank you, Fawn. Well, why don't you start by telling us about when you first started having hearing problems, what was going on and and what did you do? In about 2006, I started noticing that I was having some challenges with hearing. And so I would go into the doctor because I was concerned about that. And they would tell me that I was congested. And so I would be thinking at the time that that didn't sound quite right, but they were professionals. And I just trusted after they looked into my ears that maybe there was some congestion that I was not aware of or not feeling at the time. So this went on several times where I would go back in and say, yeah, I'm still not hearing well. And they'd say, oh, you're congested. Uh, so about the third or fourth time that I went in, and and by the way, they would always give me a prescription <laughs> and I would take it and I it, I just didn't feel any different. Was this the same doctor? It was always your yes, intern? It was always the same doctor. So the prescription was for congestion. And so I would take it, but it never made a difference. But I thought, well, maybe they know more than I do. Maybe in the past, if I had been congested like I am right now, I would know it. And, you know, you kind of have this awareness. What prompted me to go back in the final time was that I was I'm a speech pathologist by profession. And I was calibrating my equipment to do a hearing screen on a student. And I was telling the student that the hearing in my right ear that the equipment was not working. And the student was the one that made me aware by saying, Miss Gordon, you didn't hear that sound. I heard it from across the room. And so I checked the sound in my left ear and realized he was absolutely right. Mm. Sound was emitting from the audiometer. I just couldn't hear it. So I went back in and this time I was insistent that they dig a little deeper. So they did a hearing exam, they did notice, and then they just said, well, as you age, sometimes hearing loss is, you know, typical at your age. You you were not the age that hearing loss becomes a an regular issue. Not at all. And the other thing that I learned and should have known from my background and training is that unilateral hearing loss is not something that would be typical in aging types of hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And so I just insisted, and thank goodness I had the background in speech because we do take some audiology cor- courses. And I knew from that that I should request an ABR, which is an acoustic brainstem response test. And they really didn't want to give it to me, but I insisted. 
and I was watching as they were giving me the signals and I could see in my left ear, my brain was receiving the signal, but I saw also saw that when she introduced a signal to my right ear, that it was, there was a delay. There was some kind of impedance. And I knew enough to know that that could only mean one thing. There had to be some kind of an obstruction. And I knew that it had to be either a tumor or some kind of blockage. So I immediately knew, although I didn't say anything at the time. Mm. And what did they tell you? She didn't tell me anything, but she started treating me differently. (laughs) And, you know, when they come in the room and suddenly they're, "Um, are you okay? Can I get you anything? I'm going to take you back to the doctor and let him talk to you. Mm. She highlighted things on the page and said, do you understand? We want you to go in for an MRI. It's a routine kind of thing. Do you understand? I'm going to highlight your instructions Mm. and you take care of yourself now. Mm. So when they start treating you differently. Yeah, that kind of is a clue as well that maybe they messed up and I knew it, but I didn't call her out. I didn't say anything at the time, Um, but I went to my car and I knew and I cried because I knew that could only mean one thing. And I remember calling a friend and I told her I have a brain tumor and she said, you do not. Why are you so extreme? You don't know that. Did a doctor tell you that? I said, I just know. I know. Mm. So what kind of doctor did they refer you to? Well, you had the MRI and then what happened? After I had the MRI, the results then went back to my provider and then they referred me to a neurosurgeon. Mm. And so I started seeing him, but I got like three opinions before I opted on eventually. So what did they tell you when they sent you to the neurosurgeon? At that point, did they say you have a brain tumor? Yes, they did disclose that to me. They said, now the next step is for you to see a neurosurgeon because then they can advise you on how best to treat it Mm. um, and to give you some additional information that was outside of their expertise. So did you have someone with you or some sort of emotional support? I mean, I know you said you went to your car and cried, which of course I think any of us would have done with with that knowledge. For my first appointment, yes, I did. I took my sister with me and she cried the entire exam, which was not helpful (laughs) because I was trying to get information. And at that point, the tears were gone for me. I just needed to understand what was happening and understand what I needed to do. And that doctor recommended that they do an open head surgery. And he was saying, you'll have to go to rehab. It was sort of the worst case scenario. And so my sister was just bawling the whole time. (laughs) And so after that, I went to all of my visits on my own because I knew that I needed to have a certain frame of mind. I didn't need to want, I didn't need to take care of someone else in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I did all of my appointments after that alone. And I made my decision alone. Um, I think I did share some of it with my mom, but I was concerned too that, you know, I didn't want to worry her as much and I didn't really share it with my children either. My daughter at that time had just gone away to college. And so I just kind of, and I was going through a divorce at the same time. And so I just sort of kept it to myself and just kind of worked through it and, and tried to problem solve and, and educate myself as much as possible. Which I know you did a great job of, but I wish you didn't have to do that. And do you think it would have been easier if you did have someone going through that time to share it with? I think that it would have been helpful 
I didn't have it available and we just do what we have to do. And we're sort of trained to put your big girl panties on. And in my mom's family, they had a saying with the women that you give yourself 24 hours Mm. and you cry if you have to put your head under the covers. And when that 24 hours is up, when the sun comes up, then the game is on. You allow yourself that. But, you know, sometimes what I've learned is we need a little more than the 24 hours. (laughs) And I've tried to live by that. And that can be a little daunting. Over time, it's a weight that presses you down. Oh, absolutely. And who made that up? (laughs) Well, I think it was necessary probably in some point in in the Black women's evolution through this country, at least. But there's no honor in long suffering. Mm -mm. And I think in a lot of ways, we need to figure out how to let go of some of those tools that we had to have back then for survival. Absolutely. And that we have passed them on and on to our detriment. Yes, and we we've got to figure out a way to let go of some of that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I was listening to a radio show one morning and there was a young man that called in and he was praising his mom. He said, my mom worked two jobs. She always had dinner on the table. Mm-hmm. She was a single parent and she did all of these things. And the women today are just not built like my mom. And the commentator said, you know, I'm really saddened when I hear that because really your mom was a victim. She's not a hero. Your mom is a victim. And so we, we say that's a hero. Wow. She had, well, look at the cape that woman wore. Look how amazing she was. And other women should compare themselves to her. Wow. That's abusive. And she was amazing. That's not the point, but she should not have had to have been. I'm sure it felt like a burden to her and she did it. And I honor her for that, but we should not be expecting that. Absolutely. And we do, we do, we do what we have to do, but it's always, like you said, it's to our detriment. And sometimes when we emerge, are we better for the journey (laughs) or are we broken? Right. And that's what I don't want is to be broken at the end of all of this, to be an old woman thinking how hard my life had been. You know, I want to be at the end of this and say I had some joy, too. And everybody deserves that. Yes, absolutely. You go to the first neurosurgeon and he says you're going to do open head surgery. (laughs) And you're like, no, I'm not. So how do you find the other two doctors to get second and third opinions? Just research just got on the internet and researched and found people that I thought would be good. And also I have a very close friend that's a physician. I think he gave me one of the referrals and just tried to listen to what other people had said about their experiences. And I'm going to tell you, when you go into these doctors and I'm sitting in the lobby, there were so many times I just wanted to run out in tears because many of the people that were sitting in the lobby were a lot older than me. Many of them, you could already see the effects of having had brain trauma or brain cancers or treatment. They weren't walking well. So sometimes when I was sitting there, it would take everything in me to just continue to sit there because I wanted to fall apart. It's like when I looked around the room and I thought I'm the only one sitting here that looks healthy. And is this what this is going to look like? For me. In the future, right. Yeah. But praise God, I mean, it, it ended up turning out very well. And, you know, I'm alive, I'm well, it wasn't cancerous. 
And so I am just very grateful for the journey. And I'm very grateful for the doctor that I ultimately found. That said, and so what was his treatment plan for you? He said, I would not crack your head open. He said, that's taking a sledgehammer. When he said, your tumor is just below the size that we can treat with radiation. And he said, you just made it. And he said, so this is my advice. I, I advise that you go through gamma knife radiation. He explained the whole process and I thought it makes sense. He said, with a little time off, you should be able to return to work. He said, some people return to work right away. He said, others take the time because psychologically it's a lot. And yeah. he said, so you might want to take some time just to come to terms with what's happened because you could lose your hearing, which I did, complete hearing loss in the right ear. I could, he said, you could have some facial paralysis, all kinds of other things that did not happen. So I'm just really grateful that he was there at a time that I needed him. He was the right person for the, for that moment. And I'm just really grateful for that. And they know once there's nerve damage, there's really very little chance of recovering the hearing. So he had already walked me through that before. But then after the radiation, there was additional hearing damage. So I think I did have some residual hearing. It wasn't a complete and total loss. But after the radiation, then it just sort of fried the rest of what was left of that nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he prepared me for it. And, and I had threatened him that he better not get close to the facial nerve. You know, it's, it's interesting. Those cranial nerves are just so close together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had threatened him that he <laughs> better not get near my facial nerve. <laughs> well, he did a great job. <laughs> yeah, he didn't do that. Every morning I go and check. It's like, yeah, the smile is symmetrical. We're good. <laughs> no drooling. I love that he explained the approach that he was proposing, the risks associated with it. Um, It seems like in a lot of the women we've talked to, they haven't gotten that kind of of information before some procedure. So even though this was a huge undertaking, it's great that you were able to make an informed decision because you found a doctor who was a partner with you. Yes. And I did my own research as well. So I would go back to him and say, wait a minute, I read this. And he would say, stop reading on the internet. (laughs) Were you just doing Google searches or were you reading somewhere else? I was, I went on to WebMD. I mean, I read everything I could find. And in my research, I found out that the type of brain tumor that I had, which was considered, was called an acoustic brainstem. It was an acoustic neuroma. My, and in my reading, I found out that it's there's a higher incidence of these kinds of tumors, and they think it's attributed to cell phone usage. Really? Okay. Yes, because there's been an increase, and the increase sort of started mm-hmm. when people started using cell phones. And so I think cell phones are a little bit better. They're not admit, emitting as much radiation as they were at one time, but there's always a concern with holding a device that emits radiation to your head. Mm-hmm. So now I always use speakerphone. I don't use the phone. I don't put it to my ear at all. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Me neither. And I didn't know that. <laughs> but I have heard that now that you're saying that. And it makes sense. I mean, but and I too am excited and glad that you had the partner in your doctor. But to me, an issue is that you had to go through three doctors to get to that. And Why is it so hard to, you know, find a doctor who's willing to partner with you 
And a lot of people don't have the time or the energy or the resources to go through that process. I think that most people think, well, doctors went to school and they're so brilliant, but they don't know everything. And every case is different. And I don't think that we are trained to question. Mm-hmm. And so people just accept, well, the doctor said, right. and so it must be so. But the doctors, their information is only as good as what you give them. And sometimes you do have to challenge them and ask questions because there are things that sometimes they don't think about. So they're human just like we are. And we have to learn that you have to advocate for yourself. I had a recent MRI and I was and the reason that I wanted to have the MRI is because what triggered it that it was time is that I was having some pressure behind my eyes. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if the tumor has grown. And so I called my doctor and realized that I hadn't had an MRI in five years. And I thought, wow, I had to call her. And you would think with my annual visit, that would be one of the things on her checklist because I haven't changed my primary doctor. And they told you when you had this, that you needed to have an MRI every so often, right? Yes. That was the part COVID of the- happened, You could not get appointments. So when COVID happened, I couldn't even get an annual physical. So right. during that three-year block, everything just sort of got pushed behind and you couldn't get an appointment even if you wanted one. And so I just thought there should be something in my medical file that should trigger her to follow up with me and say, hey, it's time for you to do this. And so had I not called in, I wouldn't have even realized it had been five years. That's really kind of unacceptable. I was thinking when you were saying the doctor said that when you came in, you were just under the size that was able to use this type of um, treatment. treatment. If you had waited a little longer, that treatment might not have been an option for you. It was two years later. So I started going in 2006. And because I'm with the same provider, I can go back and look at my medical records since I had my children. I can look at my weight and see how it's been trending. And had, you know, if you hadn't done sort of two years of decongestants, you might have saved some of your hearing. Oh, absolutely. Because at that time, when I first went in, I had some hearing. Mm -hmm. It just was, it felt a little muffled. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I wasn't hearing the way I had been. So it was a change. But you know, what's interesting is our bodies give us so many warnings. Mm -hmm. But we don't always listen, do we? And when I think back on it, I can remember there were times, this is when we still had home phones. I remember being at my mom's place in Indiana, probably around 2006 on her telephone. And I, because I'm right-handed, I would always favor the right side. And I remember after I got off the phone, my ears felt aggravated. I started hearing these high-pitched sounds and then my ears felt clogged for a while. And I kept saying, there's something wrong with your phone. (laughs) and I think what happened was the tumor would get aggravated like if I had a pitch a high pitch or something in the ear because I remembered it happening a few times where I would get this high pitch sound and then my ears would feel clogged for a while and then it would clear up and I would go on so I think that it had been lingering Hmm. The, the warning signs were there I just didn't know what it was And then after I had the uh, radiation, I developed tinnitus in that ear. And so I would have this ringing in the ear that almost was unbearable. How'd you get rid of that? Just time. 
And then after a while, I remember when I went in for my follow-up, he said, do you still have tinnitus? And I went, let me think, because it becomes your new norm. Right. It just becomes background noise. It just, and I had to sit and think, and I said, oh yeah, there is still a little bit, but it wasn't as loud. It had gotten better. it, It had gotten better. And now I don't hear anything at all. It's just... So now you basically have no hearing in your right ear at all. So how do you, you know, do you have to make some kind of accommodations? Oh, yeah. You you know, you have to develop compensatory strategies anytime your body goes through something like that. And and no one prepared me for that. So at first, what would happen if I went and it was a crowded room and lots of noise, I couldn't locate the sound and I would literally turn in a circle. Mm. because I was trying and my brain was confused. So I would turn around and one of my good friends would say, stop yourself. You're looking Mm. crazy. You're turning around in circles. Mm. And she would say, just wait on it. Wait and try to let your brain catch up to what's happening because it's, you know, what happens on the right side has to, there's a latency because my left ear has to capture the sound that's on the right side. So my brain always thinks it's on the left when it's really on the right. Got it. Okay. Well, I've learned to just wait on it because it's probably a two to five second delay in when the sound comes over. So if I just still myself, I can figure out that, okay, you think it's on the left. It's probably on the right. So now I'm not turning in circles. I've learned to adjust. I adjust my body so that I'm leaning in with my left ear and typically, most people don't know because I'll just adjust so that I'm on the side where I can hear. Mm-hmm. And if it's crowded, I just kind of politely nod and try to read lips. But most of the time, I probably don't have any idea what the person has said. Wow. Um, and I just kind of try to infer or pretend like I know when I really don't. Or sometimes it comes to me later, like five seconds later. And then I go, oh, <laughs> you ask me. <laughs> yeah, but as a friend who goes out with fun and in social settings, it's not obvious at all. It's like you wouldn't know that anything was uh, right. I've learned to adjust. So typically, if I'm walking with you like we were that night in Charleston, I just adjust myself. It's like I'm going to walk on her left side. I'm going to walk on her right side, my left side, so I can hear. What about at work? Have you had to adjust anything at work? Yes. So I'm a speech pathologist. So I'm working in very close proximity. So in my work as a therapist, it doesn't really affect me that much because I know how to adjust myself. I And I'm also attending with all of my other, you know, with my visual skills. And so I'm listening, I'm looking at nuance. So I'm using my eyes as well as looking at body language. So it doesn't really in, impact my work as a speech pathologist. But I do know that if I'm in the hallway, someone is yelling at me and they finally catch up with me. They said, I was yelling at you. I was trying to get your attention. And it's like, I didn't hear a thing, but it it, it works itself out. What do you wish would have been different from the health care system in this journey? I think that I, I wish that I had been listened to because I think about how many times I got dismissed because they said, Oh, you're just being, you know, it's your, it's because you're aging. I wasn't that old. And Mm. and I want to say a bad word. I wasn't that damn old. Right. right. (laughs) It's like, really, you're saying it's aging. That's not typical. That's not the typical age. That's your easy out. And then in, in addition to that, it was unilateral. Right. 
that should have been a clue to them as well. And it, so I'm a little angry that I didn't advocate sooner for myself. It took that student to say to me, I heard the, I heard the beep. Or that they didn't listen because you did advocate for yourself, but you also believed yeah. that they were professionals. And But I didn't push. The last time I went in, I pushed. And what did that sound like? I, I did not take no for an answer when she said, oh, it's, you're overreacting. We don't need to do that. Insurance doesn't typically like to pay for an ABR. And I said, I'm not leaving. I basically just said, because at this point I'm angry. Right. Because I knew it had to be something. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to tell me it's congestion. So I let them go through the process. I, I went to the ENT. I let them do that. I had the hearing exam. It's like, yes, your hearing is fading, almost non-existent in that ear. That is a problem. I said, I need an ABR. And she said, oh, you're overreacting. You don't need that. That's just, I said, I need an ABR and I'm not leaving until I get one because I know that there's something wrong. So of and course the apology came after you got the ABR and it showed you had a brain tumor. So I'm sure they were very apologetic. Well, I never, no, not real. No, they weren't. That was our They just, you know, they all pretend like, oh, look at what we discovered. Wow. It's not giving me the credit for, wow, I'm glad you insisted. And maybe we should have been more proactive. No, I think that there are many people that have come in after me that got the same treatment that I did that probably didn't know to ask for an ABR. For sure. Didn't, and they were told the same thing. Oh, take a decongestant. And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm but I don't feel congested like at all. And I already took a decongestant and it didn't solve this issue. But I'm so glad that you were able to navigate to a better solution, not an ideal solution, but I'm glad it didn't go the way it could have gone if you had not advocated for yourself. Absolutely. And I'm just, I'm just really grateful because it could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, we're, we're kind of trained to have gratitude and to have forgiveness and all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not angry, like at all. I should be. We do have a couple of questions we like to ask before okay. we let anyone go. So Brenda. All right. So on a scale of one to 10, how healthy do you feel today? Oh, I really, if I'm honest, I feel like an eight. Good, good. And and why? And not a 10. Or not a six. (laughs) Well, I exercise. I don't take any medication. My blood pressure is good. I have good friends and family. And um, I'm able to do most of the things that I would like to do in my life. And so I exercise. I try to take good care of myself. What are you going to do for your health tomorrow then? How are you going to get that eight to a 10? Well, I think that I'm going to have to continue to just work on my health and wellness. I do need to eat better. That's Mm -hmm. one thing. And so I'm just going to continue to work toward that 10. Who or what inspires you to work towards your best health? I guess I would have to say my grandchildren inspire me to just want to be healthy so that I can do the things with them. I have taken the first one to Disney World and I told them that when they turn nine, it'll be their turn. So I'm going to be going to Disney World for a long time. So I need to be fit and healthy enough to (laughs) actually fulfill that agreement. 
That's good. I have now recently learned that is a lot of motivation. Yes. And none of these days are promised. And we know that at this age, because we probably all have had friends that have passed away at this age and, and at any age, really, but it becomes more painfully aware that we have more years behind us than we do in front of us. And so we have to make the best of the years that we have that are in front of us. I'm so impressed by Fawn. She was going through a divorce and diagnosed with a brain tumor. And on her own, she figured out her treatment plan and how to get back to healthy. I'm happy for her, but I'm also sad that she had to do that. As Black women, we're often celebrated for being strong Black women. But wouldn't it be better if sometimes we could lay that burden down during challenging times, call on our sisters, call on the community, and let them help us solve things? It certainly would be better, and I wish that for all of us. But in truth, sometimes circumstances just don't allow for that to be the case. We have to do hard things, and like Fawn did in that situation, we just have to prioritize our health and keep moving forward to get to healthy so that we can maybe in the future build that community or be that community for someone else. You're right. Oh, I like that. Be that community for someone else. My other takeaway from Fawn is that we know our bodies best. And so if you're given a diagnosis that doesn't ring true, then ask more questions. Ask what else could be causing this symptom. Ask for more tests so that you can really get to the core of what the problem is and get to a solution. That's true. And find a provider that values your input, that knowledge that you have of your body when they're making recommendations for you, because that's important too. Please listen next week when we discuss staying mentally strong with Nia Brown. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Body Wealth Sisters. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode inspires you to increase your body wealth. If you like our show, please subscribe and tell a friend. The Body Wealth Podcast shares personal stories to inspire you. It does not constitute medical advice. For that, we encourage you to work with a trusted healthcare provider. We also want to remind you that the views expressed by our guests are their own. This podcast is dedicated to our mother, Jean Fernandes Barbour, who showed us what advocating for yourself really looks like.